Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. And before we get started this morning, I just want to say a a couple of personal words. Um, In talking with the leadership of Emmanuel and talking to many of you, it's very evident that the Lord's at work at Emmanuel Baptist Church right now. Going all the way back before Christmas when we had seven baptisms that kind of ended up our year together. And then at the beginning of the year, we launched this new kind of format to worship. And then uh, we as elders and leaders and staff and deacons, we had a retreat over a weekend when we spent time seeking the face of the Lord. We came out of that very excited as far as what God's direction is for our future. And then last week uh, when Nathan came and preached and there was just a massive response of you uh, coming down to the front and making commitments, I just want to just ask you, as a church family, to be in prayer for us as leadership. We don't want to get out ahead of God, but we also don't want to lag behind God. We want to be right where God wants us to be as a church family. So I'm just asking that you would pray for the continuing of God's work in the life of our church and that we as a church family would be sensitive to what he's doing in our midst so that we don't miss out on what God may have for us as a church family. Well, I'm a pretty organized person. <clears throat> I like to put everything into my iPhone. Some of you like to do that, so I don't miss appointments. And so in my iPhone, almost every appointment I have, I put in there, and I've got that 15-minute alert that comes up and lets you know that you have an event coming in 15 minutes. Well, this past Tuesday, <clears throat> there were two events that occurred that I forgot to put into my iPhone. And that never happens to me. So we go into staff meeting on Tuesday afternoon. I was supposed to call somebody after staff meeting. I get out of staff meeting. I start going and doing something else. And then I, I end up going to, to Walmart to get something. And then I, and the next thing I know, about two hours later, the guy calls me and he's like, or texts me. He's like, did you forget about our phone call we were supposed to have? Totally forgot about it. Well, I get to my house, and it's a little bit after 4 o'clock. And as I'm pulling up to my house... Our representative from Eastern Colorado Services who helps us with Zachary, she's leaving my front door and walking back to her car. I'm like, oh, man, I totally forgot. I was supposed to meet her at 4 o'clock. And so thankfully, I was able to make that appointment. But it just really frustrated me this past Tuesday to, to have two things that I missed because they weren't in my iPhone. Now, thankfully, I haven't missed those big things, you know, like birthdays or, or whatever. But um, I'm sure... Many of you can relate to having things in your phone or forgetting things. And and when you forget to show up to something or you forget an appointment, it normally makes you feel kind of stupid. You feel frustrated. You feel terrible. And if I don't have those events in my phone or if you don't have it in your plan or however you keep yourself organized, we're sunk. I'm sunk if it's not in my iPhone. And it's amazing how we as humans are so prone to forget. We're so prone to forget. What I find fascinating is how many times in the Bible God calls us to remember. 
just do a study of. I'm just going to give you a few verses here of, of how God calls us to remember. First Chronicles 16:12. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. Remember. Psalm 78:35. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. Psalm 119.55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Psalm 143.5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Isaiah 46.9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Jonah 2.7, when he's in the belly of the fish. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. How easy it is for us to forget the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember, remember, remember. Think about the Israelites for a moment. You've been in Egyptian captivity for 400 years in slavery. You had seen nine plagues, amazing plagues. You're going to see the Passover, and then God's going to lead you through the Red Sea. Do you think if you were an Israelite, you'd forget any of that? God gives them instructions twice on how to celebrate the Passover because God knows they will forget. Now, the Passover. The Passover is an act of worship. Now, we no longer practice the Passover because Jesus, the ultimate Passover land, has come and died on the cross. And so we get to chapter 12 with all of these instructions on how to celebrate the Passover. And you ask the question, well, how, how does this impact us today? We don't celebrate the Passover. Why do I need to get all these instructions on how to, how to celebrate it? Well, what I want to do this morning is I want us, because it's the first Sunday of the month, and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I thought it would be very, very fitting, very, very beneficial for us to look at how many of the details in the Passover parallel what we do in the Lord's Supper. So here's the main point of the message this morning and the main point of chapter 12 if we take it into the New Testament. The Lord's Supper is the new covenant transformation of the Passover. What we celebrate in the Lord's Supper is a transformation of the Passover. Now the Passover comes first. And Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover. We don't celebrate the Passover. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. But they come together in a many, many parallels. So let's read together Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. 
Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people in Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. The Lord's Supper is the new covenant transformation of the Passover. So what I want us to do this morning is to look at five aspects about the Passover that teach us about the Lord's Supper. What are these parallels? What do we see about Passover that teaches us about the Lord's Supper. Here's the first one, the first aspect. Passover, first of all, was a memorial feast to the Lord to be observed every year. It was a memorial feast to be observed every year. Look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. You go down to verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. Now you may be wondering, okay, God prescribed for them to celebrate it as a statute forever and ever and ever. Why aren't we celebrating the Passover today? Anybody bring in their spotted lambs to be killed this morning? Anybody smearing blood over their doorpost or lintel? Why is it a statute to be celebrated forever? In a sense, we do celebrate the Passover. It's just been radically transformed into the Lord's Supper. On the night that he was betrayed, 
Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover. It was the Passover feast. It was the meal. It was the memorial. But Jesus took the Passover and he radically transformed it into the Lord's Supper. It was the Last Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. It's what we celebrate today. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood in the new covenant. No longer are you going to be sacrificing lambs. I'm the ultimate Passover lamb, and my blood is going to be poured out once and for all on the cross. So the Lord's Supper is a memorial to be observed regularly as central to worship. Now, we don't celebrate the Lord's Supper like once a year. We celebrate it once a month. It's to be celebrated regularly. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus simply says, as often as you take it. He didn't prescribe a time. Jesus didn't say, do it every week, do it once a month, do it every year. He just said, do it often. Now, the early church did it every week. Some churches do it every six weeks. Some churches I know do it like once a year, which is a little weird. We as elders... Basically, just to make sure that we do it often, feel like we do it once a month on the first Sunday of the month. We're doing it often. But why do we do it often? Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper often? Because we're prone to forget. Now, you wouldn't, even, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that out loud. But why do you come to church every Sunday? You come to church every Sunday because for six days of the week, you've been bombarded with the things of this world. You've been bombarded with messages. You've been bombarded with temptations. You've been bombarded with all of these things coming at you. And when you come to this place, you want to hear a word from the Lord. You want to receive the gospel. You want to receive the word. And the Lord's Supper is a visual and a tasting way for us to remember what Christ has done. Because God knows we'll forget. God knows we'll be tempted. God knows that all these other things will fill our thoughts and our minds. And so we come here to have it remembered. In verse 26, Moses commands the children to be ready. Or commands the parents to tell the children why they celebrate this. Look at verse 26. And when the children say, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. 
So what he's saying here is that the parents need to be ready to tell the children why they're doing it. So when they get in the land and this new generation comes up and their parents are celebrating the Passover, why are we doing this, mom and dad? Well, let me tell you why we're doing this. It needed to be passed down from generation to generation. There's a strong obligation on parents to teach the gospel to their children. Psalm 78, 5 through 7. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Parents, we need to pass down the faith to our children, generation after generation, to those that aren't even yet born. Now, there's a lot of things we do as parents. We can often focus on making sure our children are good little boys and girls. Don't do this. Don't do that. And oftentimes, parents, we focus on behavior modification. If just my child was a good kid, everything would be great. What we don't often do is we get to the heart of our children. We focus on behavior modification. I want you to be good so I look good. I want you to be good so you do good in school. There's nothing wrong with having your child be good, but do you know there's a more fundamental problem with your children than just them being good? They are sinners separated before a holy God, and they need salvation. They need the gospel. So as parents, you need to always be telling your children the gospel. Always share the gospel. They need to hear it from your lips, parents. They need to see it demonstrated in your home, parents. They need to be brought to church where they can be around other believers and be in among God's family. They need to hear the gospel. Charles Spurgeon said this, Children need the gospel, the whole gospel, the unadulterated gospel. It's a memorial. Why, why do we do this? Why, do, why, do, why are we doing the Passover? So that we can remind our children, we can remind each other, it's a memorial of what Christ has done. So, so the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It reminds us of what God has done for us. But secondly, Passover was an act of worship for the sacrificial lamb that spared the Israelites from God's wrath. It was an act of worship. Look at verse 27. I actually go back up to verse 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? What's going to be your answer? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. You remember the the Israelites? This was an ordinance for them as well. If they did not put the blood on the lentils and doorposts of their homes, they were just as susceptible to the angel of death coming and killing their firstborn son. They were not immune to it. They had to apply the blood. And God spared them his wrath when he saw the blood. In the same way, the Lord's Supper is an act of worship where we Praise Jesus that we've been spared God's wrath through his blood on 
the cross. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. How are you saved from the wrath of God? By the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood saves us from God's wrath. Hebrews 9, 12. He entered once for all, that's Jesus, into the holy places. Not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The Lord's Supper is a memorial feast. We remember, we look back to what Jesus did. But it's also an act of worship. Notice what the Israelites did here. What happens at the end of verse 27? The people bowed their heads and worshiped. When they heard the news that they would be spared by putting the blood and door over their lintels and doorpost. And I can imagine what happened on that night when the midnight cry happened in Egypt, when the angel of death came over and, and the Israelites were in their homes and they were spared. They were joyful that God had rescued them and they bowed down and worshiped. Your only appropriate response to the cross of Christ Sometimes it's just to bow down and worship. So when we take the Lord's Supper, yes, we're remembering what Jesus did, but man, there should be times where you just want to bow down and worship. And let me just say this. I have no problem if when we take the Lord's Supper, you want to kneel where you're at and just bow down with your elements in your hand. That is totally appropriate for you to bow before the Lord with the elements in your hand and just say, I'm going to bow before Jesus because of the great act of grace that he's shown me in the cross. The Israelites did it. They bowed down and they worshiped. Number three, the third aspect of Passover. In the Passover, the Lord saved Israel to be holy and purified from idolatry. Now, there's a lot of talk about leaven here. Unleavened bread, leaven, get the leaven out of the house. Verse 17, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. Verse 16, it was a holy assembly to the Lord. Okay, so on that first day of that seven-day festival, you had to go in the house and take out all the yeast. Get the yeast out of the house. Don't make anything with yeast. Make sure that there's no yeast in your house. And as a matter of fact, if you eat anything with yeast... You could be cut off from Israel. It was that serious. You could be excommunicated from Israel if you had yeast in your house. And we look at that and we think, now that's kind of strange. Does God just have this thing with yeast? What's the problem? Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. Bread without yeast represents holiness. Purity. Not having the stain of Egyptian idolatry. Philip Ryken made this great insight. I, I like what he said. He said, God wanted to do something more than get his people out of Egypt. 
He wanted to get Egypt out of his people. It was a fresh start. God says, clean out your house. We're starting a new calendar. We're getting you out of Egypt. We're making a fresh start by cleansing out the leaven. Cleansing the leaven meant distancing themselves from pagan idolatry. Every time the Israelites ate unleavened bread, they were reminding themselves, we're not Egyptians. We're not pagans. We are God's holy people called out to be separate and distinct. Now, what does unleavened bread have anything to do with the the Lord's Supper? God, in the same way, saves you and me to be holy and blameless before him. 2 Timothy 1.9. God saved us and called us to a holy calling. He saved us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Titus 2.14. These, these verses were read earlier as well. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus Christ died not only to save us from our sins, but to also make us a holy people, a distinct people, a separate people, a called out people. You see, the Lord's Supper reminds us that we're saved by grace. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. But the Lord's Supper also reminds us that we're saved by grace in order to be holy people. That's why the Lord's Supper tells you to examine yourselves before you take the Lord's Supper. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a major problem going on in the church. Okay, think about this. There's a a man who's having sexual relationships with his mother-in-law. There's an incestuous relationship going on in the church. Nobody's talking about how bad it is. They're celebrating how good it is. Nobody's having a problem with it. There's major dysfunction in the life of the Corinthian church, sexual immorality, and Paul comes in and says, listen, I've got to address this. How does Paul address the sexual immorality in the church? He uses Passover language to do it, which I find very interesting. Paul could have just come in and said, you guys need to stop being sexually immoral. He doesn't do that. He says, well, let me read you what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6-8. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's what Paul says. Sin, like yeast, left unchecked is a cancer, and it will infect the entire church. So get rid of it. Get rid of the sin. Why? Because Christ, your Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So celebrate the festival, celebrate the Lord's Supper with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
not sin. That's why Paul urges them to take the Lord's Supper in a way where you can confess that sin, deal with that sin. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul is not saying that you have to be perfect in order to take the Lord's Supper. What Paul is saying is that if you've got any sin in your life that you have not confessed, and it's like that yeast that's corrupting you and it could corrupt others and could spread throughout the entire church, Paul says, listen, stop, take a moment, confess. Confess that sin. Repent of that sin. Own up to that sin. The Lord's Supper is a time for you to stop and confess and ask the Lord to cleanse you. Not so that you're worthy enough to take the supper. You're already saved by grace and you have permission to come to the table. It's more so that you can take it in a way where you fully receive the benefits of what Christ is doing in the Lord's Supper in that moment. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Russell read this earlier. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That should be your prayer every time you take the Lord's Supper. Lord, search my heart. I'm blinded to my sin. If there's any sin in my heart, Lord, bring it up to the surface that I may see it, may I confess it. And then when I confess it, I, I have the assurance that you forgive me of all, of all unrighteousness. You cleanse me of all my, my sin. What's the fourth aspect of the Passover? Passover was reserved strictly for those who had trusted in the Lord and identified that publicly by circumcision. Passover was reserved strictly for those who had trusted in the Lord and identified that publicly by circumcision. Now we're going to skip over a section here. Um, let's go down to, to verse 43. Why don't you go down to verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you've circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and one for the sojourner who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Now, go back to verse 38 for a moment. I didn't read it, but let's read verse 38. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. A mixed multitude. Now, what's this mixed multitude? These were non-Israelites. 
Gentiles, whether Egyptian, Cushite, Iteite, whatever Ite, that saw the plagues and placed their faith in the Lord and left with Israel. This is a precursor to God saving Gentiles in the Old Testament. Do you realize God saved Gentiles in the Old Testament? Rahab the prostitute. She confessed the Lord of Israel is her God. She was enfolded into the covenant community. Ruth, the Moabite, she was saved by grace, and she left her pagan idolatry and came to be part of the nation of Israel. So there's a mixed multitude that is leaving. And so basically what this is is these are non-Israelite Gentiles who said, I'm believing this is the Lord, the true God of Israel. I've seen the plagues. I'm leaving my pagan idolatry. I'm following these Israelites, and I'm going to go with them because I believe their God is the true God. Now, as non-Israelites, what do they have to do? As a way to say, I'm taking a break from my idolatry and I'm joining the covenant community of God, they had to be circumcised. They had to be circumcised. And so Moses says in verses 43 and 44, you cannot eat the Passover unless you've been circumcised. Verse 48, you see it again. No uncircumcised person shall eat the Passover. So you could say it this way. Only those who had placed personal faith in the God of Israel and followed up that commitment with circumcision, the outward sign, could eat the Passover meal. That's the Old Testament. There was a restriction placed upon who could take the Passover. You had to be part of the covenant community. You had to profess faith in Yahweh. And you had to be, you had to be circumcised as an outward sign. Now, let's talk about New Testament for a moment. You don't want to be legalistic about this, but you can make a case that as circumcision was the outward sign to show that you had left your life of pagan idolatry and joined the covenant of faith, what's the New Testament outward sign that you've left idolatry and you've joined the covenant of faith? Baptism. Baptism is the outward sign that you've left your old life, you've died to your old life, and you're now a believer. It's the public testimony of faith. So we could say that really you should be baptized in order to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Acts 2, 41 through 42. Those who received the word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper, and the prayers. Now, Luke could have just very simply said, hey, Peter preached this message at Pentecost and a ton of people got saved. What does he say? He gives you a number, right? 3,000 were what? Added that day. Added to what? The church. The church in Jerusalem. Before those 3,000 were saved and baptized, they were not part of the church. Once they were saved and baptized, they were added to the church. They were added to that local body. And so we could say that baptism is that outward sign that you've made the commitment to Jesus and you've joined the covenant community of the local church. And so it would be safe to say, if you haven't been baptized by immersion Really, that's the first act of obedience to show that you are a Christian. 
you really should be baptized first before you take the covenant meal that's the ongoing ceremony to show that you have trusted Christ for salvation. So let me just say this. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, but you've not been baptized, then what I would encourage you to do is maybe after the service, come and talk to me or make an appointment with me. I'd love to talk to you, or even Pastor Andrew, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be baptized, why it's so important, why it's an act of obedience, why God tells us to to be plunged under the water. I'd love to talk to you about that. All right, let's look at the fifth thing. Passover was observed by the entire congregation who were united as God's redeemed people. Passover was observed by the entire congregation. Look at verse 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. It was a holy festival. It was a meal of remembrance, but it was to be observed by the entire congregation, the entire nation. Everybody was to come together, united and saying, we're going to celebrate this. You couldn't have a family of yours saying, well, we don't want to participate. Everybody came together and participated at that time. So in the same way, the Lord's Supper unites us together as a family as a church family. You see, every time we come together on Sunday morning, once a month, we are gathering together as the body of Christ, Emmanuel Baptist Church, to take the Lord's Supper. You should never really take the Lord's Supper by yourself in the privacy of your own home. You should probably never take it as a growth group or some separated. The Bible calls us to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church family. So here's what happens. When you come together on the Lord's Day, you look across the sanctuary and you look at your, your brothers and sisters in Christ and you realize that the entire assembly, this is the one time of the week where the entire assembly is gathered at one time at one place to celebrate this meal together. It's the Lord's Supper. We come to the Lord's Supper. We come together as a church family. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You need to be here. Can't stress how important it is to not neglect meeting together with your church family. Like Nathan said last week, and you may want to sit on the third row because you never know how far the Holy Spirit's going to move. Something uniquely special happens when God's people gather together on the Lord's Day. You don't want to miss it. You want to be there so you can encourage one another. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is not that a participation in the body of Christ. Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. There's one body, but we're all many. We're all individuals, but when we come into this place, we're all individuals, but we make up one body, and we take that one bread and that one cup together. It's a participation. It's a fellowship. It's a, in the original language, it's a koinonia. It's a, it's a communion. So how can we summarize the parallels between the Passover and the Lord's Supper? Well, the Lord's Supper is a memorial celebration to be observed regularly. We do this in remembrance. 
of Christ. The Lord's Supper is an act of worship where we praise him for sparing us of God's wrath through his blood. We do this in worship of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that we're saved by grace, but we're saved to be holy, to be blameless, to be distinct, to confess that sin, to live lives of repentance. We do this in holiness because of Christ. We also saw that baptized believers come together to take the Lord's Supper. We do this in identification with Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And we also come together as one unified congregation. We do this as a family. So we do this in remembrance of Jesus. We do it in worship of Jesus. We do it in holiness because of Jesus. We do it when we identify with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And we do it as a family in Jesus. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, let's remember these truths. Let's be like the Israelites and all come together and bow down in worship and have our eyes fixed on the true Passover lamb, Jesus, who shed his blood on the cross, sparing us God's wrath, forgiven us all of our sins, and granted us the gift of eternal life with him. The Lord's Supper is a looking back at what Jesus did. The Lord's Supper is a looking up in worship for who Jesus is. The Lord's Supper is a looking out at each other to see how we're united as a family. And the Lord's Supper is a looking forward to his return at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, would you... Look back, look up, look out, and look forward as we celebrate the death of Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that your blood spared us from hell spared us from guilt and condemnation. Lord, would we, would we, when we take the Lord's Supper today, Lord, would it be an act of worship where we would just bow before you? Lord, would we see it as, as an act that the family takes together where we're coming together as, as a church family? And Lord, would we be reminded as parents and even grandparents to pass this faith along to our children and to our grandchildren, to those not yet born, that we would always have upon our lips the meaning of the cross and why we do what we do. Lord, we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to be distracted. In these moments this morning, would we have our eyes just so laser sharply fixed upon you, Jesus, that we would remember and we would do this in memory of you in remembrance of you. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. We look forward to this meal. At your table, at your supper, you're serving us, Lord. We are so thankful that you are our great God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.